Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Hello and welcome to Baseball Barbacast, the only baseball podcast in the world who dropped the top on Chase Field. I'm Jake Mintz. That's Jordan Schusterman. And there's nothing like watching a ball game with the wind in your hair. <laughs> Is that what did the wind come through uh, Chase Field? The roof open. The roof discourse continues. I love it so much. And I'm not even there. I just more more roof open roof closed graphics, the better. I will just eat them up. So we'll, we'll talk about Texas's three to one victory in game three in a second. The difference in the quality of this stadium when the roof is open and closed is remarkable. People had said this to me. Folks had pointed this out. But until you can experience the difference, it's it was so jarring. It's like a three out of 10 stadium when it's closed and a six out of 10 when it's open. Wow. Yeah, no, it looked and it looked it just looked beautiful. I, I think uh, it was yeah. clear skies. It was like I mean, the reason it was open is because it wasn't 95 degrees. Right. It was it seemed to be a, a very comfortable temperature. And while I know the Diamondbacks have historically or certainly recently had a nice home field advantage, I believe because the ball normally flies more when it's open, uh, I, I, I believe. But tonight in game three, this was a this was a very calm baseball game. Offense was not the headliner whatsoever for really either side in this baseball game, a three to one close victory. We only saw scores in two half innings uh, of the, of the 18. And uh, we're going to talk about it, but any other uh, kind of scene setting again, this was the first world series game at, at chase field since 2001. Of course, anything else before we get to the actual action? Baseball should be played outside. Wow. Call me an, an, an old fart, <laughs> but it's nicer when you can smell the air. Yeah. And the world. It, it's it's not that complicated. And, and I know that when we have rainouts in the postseason in the World Series, everyone yeah. who's a fan of a team with a roof. Now, obviously, you know, rainouts not as much of a concern for Arizona. But in general, you know, most people are like, oh, build a roof. You loot like every new stadium should have a roof, blah, 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 blah. And like, I get that at the same time. Every time I feel that way, I'm like, baseball should be played outside. <laughs> It's, it's better. It's not that complicated. So it's like go outside. Like being outside is better than being inside. Yeah. Yep. Big facts. All the time. Big All the time. Facts. All right. Three to one. Texas wins. They're up two to one in the series. Mm -hmm. We can kind of group the first two innings together. Fought good. Scherzer pretty good for the yeah. first two frames. Sure. Kind of yep. zoom through that a little bit. Yeah. I mean, we got double plays uh, bottom of the first and top of the second. Um, defense was rolling. And then bottom of the second, I know there was some discourse about uh, Christian Walker. Oh getting yeah, a, sorry. Getting we got to talk ovation. about the bottom of the second. Yes. yes. Okay. So not, but definitely, you know, first three half innings, not a whole lot going on. Bottom of the second, Christian Walker leads off, and there was some discussion about whether he was going to get a Trey Turner esque standing ovation. I know there was some local TV people trying to get this going. Uh, Christian, did that happen because he swung at the first pitch, and we didn't even really get to experience any sort of moment. 
It was loud, but they were cheering everyone. It was the yeah. World Series, the first yeah. World Series game here in a while. I do like that a bunch of local TV people said, oh, that guy who single-handedly bungled the last series we played in, let's copy that. <laughs> yeah, that's also true. Right. It's like, wait a minute. You watched Trey Turner this time, right? Like, we're kind of past you the saw that standing ovation part. Well, whatever. It's fine. They want to get into it. It's, I mean, I, I support supporting your players. I mean, it's better than yeah. doing him, of course. That, that's great. And Christian Walker comes up, and whether we there was going to be a standing ovation or not, he absolutely smokes one. First pitch uh, from Scherzer just crushes one deep to center field uh, for a leadoff double. And here comes here comes Snake. Snake's alive. Snake's alive, or so we thought. And here we go to the first earliest key moment of the game we've had this series. Describe to me your vision of this play. Tommy Pham lines one to right field, and a run does not score. Uh, that's one way to put it. Christian Walker rounds third, head down, full of steam, through a stop sign kind of, and is thrown out at the plate on a bang-bang play. Garcia in right shoots him down. Pretty definitive out at home. Yeah. Now, there was a lot of chatter about the third base coach who is, what's his name? Perez Chica, Chica, I believe. Tony Perez Chica Chica is the third base coach. He was giving Walker the go sign and then gave him the late hold. Okay. That is a good move. I like the, the, the send and late hold. Walker should have his head up again to check to make sure that the sign hasn't changed. That being said, the switch was made from go to stop pretty late. Mm-hmm. And here's here's where initially when I watched it back, I was like, this feels like not the best third base coaching. But when your point is saying Walker has to have his head up, especially with the Dolores Garcia in right field. And I know that it's the third base coach's job more so to know the arm of every outfielder and all those things. Like you're supposed to trust your coaching. And that is a reason for you to also keep your head up at least a little bit longer. But I just have to think that Christian Walker, like if I'm Christian Walker in that spot and I see a hard live drive to right field, like I know who it's being hit to at the very least. Like I want to be running hard. And if I'm seeing the the go sign, like I'm, I'm booking it. At the same time, I'm also probably thinking, like, really? Like, you're really sending me right now? Like, that was pretty no, hard to it, hit. You see that, and the crowd gets into you, and you hit third, and you're like, ah, I got to score. But with zero outs, that's the big problem, right? So he gets thrown out at home. Next two hitters can't make it happen. Yeah. Alec Popped Thomas hits out. a hard one. Yeah. And it, it, off Scherzer. Um, and that's the inning, right? Yeah. And it's like, ah, that was a big missed opportunity for Arizona. Yeah. And we had right to the top of the third. The Rangers put up a three spot. Mm-hmm. Nate Lowe, laser beam double into the gap, followed by a Marcus Semien two-out single where mm-hmm. Fott misses his spot. Yes. Yes. And Fott, now you miss your spot to Semien. Okay, that's fine. Semien has been struggling. He'll hit you with an RBI single to center field. Now you miss your spot to Corey Seager. The ball's going to go over the fence. And you right. could see, now in the first step back, Corey Seager swung at the first pitch. It was a sinker away. He grounds it out. And in the second at bat, you can see Moreno wants a change up away. And he just pulls it. And it's just, you can't throw a worse pitch. I mean, we've seen some bad pitches to some good hitters this postseason. Brandon Font has been marvelous. He was still pretty impressive in this game. All he was great. Considered. 
but this was just to the worst possible hitter to throw this bad changeup to. He hits at 114 off the bat, his hardest hit, uh, I think, postseason homer, certainly in the StatCast era, and now it's uh, three to three to nothing. Not just his, the hardest. The hardest, yeah. yeah. The hardest hit World Series homer in the StatCast era. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it was just, just blistered uh, to right field. And, and yeah, I mean, again, that's the thing. Like, you just... The margins are so slim uh, in these games, and that's just not not the guy, not the guy we're missing to, not the guy we want couple, to miss to. Couple Corey Seager stats here, because we'll focus on him. I mean, that's it, right? Those are the runs, the way they were enough to win the game. It's all the runs Texas scored in the whole game. He has seen 91 pitches in the strike zone this October. Mm-hmm. 91. He has swung 76 times, Okay. <laughs> 76 of 91. It is an 83 and a half in zone swing rate, which would have been the highest in baseball this season. The highest in baseball this regular season was 80.3, and that belonged to? Is it Corey Seager? Corey Seager, correct. Yes. So Corey Corey Seager was swinging at more pitches in the strike zone than anybody else in the world. He got to October, and he was like, I'm going to swing a little bit more. Now, that's just like, if it's in the zone, he's hacking, right? Then when you talk about first pitches, okay, mm-hmm. he has had 27 first pitches in the strike zone. Mm-hmm. He has swung at 23 of those. <laughs> 23 of 27 first pitches. If you throw him a first pitch in the strike zone, he will probably swing. That yeah. is remarkable. And he did. That's what happened in the first at bat, you know, when he grounded out. And but if you if you fuck up again, it's just it's just not gonna happen. Again, you know, looking at the this lead, I'm just looking at this leaderboard now for the regular season, he was first. Second highest in zone swing rate was Luis Robert Jr., who was at 78.5%. The difference, though, is that the chase rate, the swing percentage out of the zone for Corey Seager is under 30%. For Luis Robert, it's 39%. Okay. Now, there are some other guys that are a little bit closer, a little bit more of a balance, but for the most part, if you're swinging that often in general, you're probably also chasing a good bit too. Um, you know, Freddie Freeman's another one that kind of pops up on here as, as especially good at this. J.D. Davis, sneaky awesome in this uh, balance category. But we talked about it last time with Corey Seager. This is why he's so special. Because it's not just that he's swinging at the right pitches. It's that he has the perfect swing and he's he has an amazing swing that can also execute and, and do damage. It's not just the swing decisions, which are elite. It's what he's actually doing with them. And this was, I mean, this, again, you, you throw him a hanging change up in the inner half. He's he's going to hit a 114. So 3-0 Rangers. And to your point, yeah, I mean, that was... That was all they really needed. Uh, but how they got the outs was a little bit less predictable. So bottom of the third, Max Scherzer goes back out there and, and puts up a scoreless inning, strikes out Longoria. Um, he walks Corbin Carroll, but he, you know he gets through it. So we're, we're chilling. Top of the fourth, Font, one, two, three, no problem. And then in the bottom of the fourth, I, I'm curious your perspective on this from the press box. When did you kind of realize that Max Scherzer was was no longer. Now, remember, we mentioned earlier there was a comebacker from Alec Thomas that hit him in the elbow, uh, right on the elbow when he turned around. But it doesn't sound like that was, it was pretty much confirmed after the game that was not the issue. So there was some wonder, like, because he, he then pitched the next inning, right? He pitched a scoreless inning after that. But it seems that after the third, we ran into some trouble. Uh, this has been an issue for Scherzer for, I mean, literally years now with back issues. And sounds like it. Just back spasm of, of back spasms, which he gave an all-time quote to our colleague Disha Thosar, who asked him, you know, how many times have you done this? And he said that he's experienced his back, back spasms. How many times has this happened in his career? Quote, more than five, but less than 10 times. 
which is just hilarious, unintentionally hilarious. But anyway, what was your see, uh, scene of like when you realized, when the press box realizes like, oh, Max Scherzer's done? So I pick my head up, you know, in between innings, I'm, I usually avert my eyes from the field, try and do a little typing or research. Mm-hmm. And I look up and Scherzer is walking off the mound down like right across the first baseline. And it's like, oh, here we go again. Right. And And this is a very complicated conversation where on one hand, it's like kind of overly simplistic to call Max Scherzer, you know, for lack of a better term, soft or doesn't want it bad enough because that's kind of crazy. Right. Like Max Scherzer clearly is about it. Mm -hmm. Right. But we've had these different circumstances pop up in the playoffs in 21 and then in 19 where like sometimes he just doesn't pitch. And we have enough of a track record with that where it means something, but I'm not sure what. Yeah. But at the same time. I like time, don't totally know how to like handle or reckon with it. I, I guess it's just not something you can wrap up in a tidy bow. No. However, I do think that the words of uh, Andy McCullough, I think, really sum it up beautifully um, in his Gamer Tonight where he just says, Quote, depending on your perspective, Scherzer is either a physical marvel or a physical wreck. Yeah, that's kind of it, right? Everything that he's accomplished pitching through all these things, it's not like he hasn't probably been feeling pain at points along the way over these last few seasons and still looked like one of the best pitchers in the league. But at the same time, like this is kind of the risk we've been going with. So no version of this was surprising. It's, of course, devastating every time it happens. It sucks. He's an all-time great, and we love him, and we want to see him compete, and all these things are all true. But at, at some point, it's like, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's kind of the risk they ran when he came back in a month after a serious shoulder injury. Like, And now it's a back thing that we've seen him have issues with in the past. So super disappointing. But it makes way for the true star of the game, and that was Mr. John Gray. And John Gray, who already delivered an excellent outing in relief in game one, delivers yet another spectacular relief performance in game two. He comes in in the bottom of the fourth. Now, remember, before the game, people were like, John Gray's probably starting game four. But then Bruce Bochy no walked it back. He was like, oh, just kidding. Every, everyone's available tonight. We'll see what happens tomorrow. Whatever. And that was indeed the case because John Gray was apparently option A. Now, here's the other thing we have to consider. You know, we say, oh, the Rangers, well, this is the risk you run. Very possible that John Gray was told tonight, hey, Max Scherzer, you know, the guy who's been injured a billion times and we've already had to like all these things. Yeah, you you got to be ready to go, right? That doesn't mean he was was warming up in the first inning, but it means he was at least probably mentally prepared. I could be the long guy here. He's a medical wreck. You have to be ready. Yeah. You have to be ready. He has not worked deep. The most pitches he's thrown in the postseason this year in his two starts was what, 63? 63, so yeah, like, 100%. Gray was prepared, and that's part of why Bochy didn't commit to a Game 4 starter mm-hmm. because there was, was always a possibility that Scherzer would not work deep into the game. Yeah, and I think that, again, I, but I think that the key point here is I think Gray in particular was the one that it seems like they were clearly had in mind because we've already heard that it's going to be Heaney uh, in Game 4. Probably Heaney Dunning, you know, Dunning through in the first two games. They probably didn't want to use him three games in a row. So it's probably going to be Heaney Dunning game four. So Gray did make sense in this in this uh, in this role, and he was absolutely marvelous. I mean, I don't really have much else to add in the middle of the game. We'll, we'll get to the Adolis Garcia injury in a second, but let's just do the John Gray interlude here, okay? Because John Gray, who you know, he signed a 
somewhat lengthy free agent contract, you know, four years, 56 million or whatever, a couple years back. He was their opening day starter. Remember, in 2022, John Gray was the Rangers opening day starter because he was the big addition, right? And since then, he's made a lot of starts, but has just kind of fallen into this sea of mediocrity and just irrelevance because he hasn't been bad enough to where you're like, oh, what a disaster, but he hasn't been good enough to where you've been like, hell yeah, John Gray. He's had that stretch. That's called that's called mid. That's called mid. That's called mid. But when I watch John Gray in the, in these outings, I have two two big big thing big picture things that came to mind for me. Can I guess um, one? One is probably that you think back to when he was drafted because he was the third overall pick in 20. Come on, Jake, you could do this. 2014? 13. 13. Ah, okay. So that is that is one. Yes. It, it, so I, what I want to, the picture I want to paint here is, is two alternate timelines. Okay. The first is, okay, yes. Third overall pick out of Oklahoma 2013. This is right when we're graduating high school. This is a draft. This is Mark Appel. This is Chris Bryant. This is a draft that I remember. I was obviously not anywhere close to as into it as I was, as I am now, but I remember like watching John Gray video, like, and like, yeah. again, even 10 years ago, like the prospect video was fairly limited <laughs> for college fishers. We're not watching it like every, you know, three straight days, college baseball, right? And I remember watching John Gray be like, holy shit, like this is this giant dude at Oklahoma throwing hundred miles an hour, all these things. But it's interesting because when we think about his career, because it was with the Rockies, it was like, wow, like, I guess what a disappointment. John Gray leads all pitcher. Now, it was a bad draft, granted. Definitely a bad draft. Leads all pitchers in war. Top four or five rounds, John Gray. Career war, it's John Gray. Mm. Which in some ways is a great. It was an achievement. He made it to free agency. He made a bunch of money. He's made a bunch of starts. But also, I think about what if this guy wasn't on the Rockies? What if yep. the Astros had taken him number one? And they had developed him. Imagine, think of he, think he got to work with Brent Strom, right, at this time. What would John Gray have become? I know he had some injuries, but instead he just had to exist and be mid and never get better and never get any help and have to pitch in Coors Field for years and just be just a just a, basically an NPC in the MLB universe. And then now... For him, it's like, oh, it's not like he's a total random. It's not like a Merrill Kelly. He was completely off the res off the radar, right? The dude was third overall. But for him to end up here was just like, oh my gosh, this is so cool. And then the other thing, so anything else, thoughts on that, and then I'll and then I'll do another alternate timeline. I mean, he's throwing ninety seven. Mm -hmm. He's throwing gasoline. Yeah, yeah. Which brings me to the other alternate timeline, which is watching John Gray in relief. <laughs> Which is mm. so funny because watching John Gray dominate in relief and he was on the Fox desk after the game and they were like, hey, what's your mentality? Like you're just in relief. It's He's like, yeah, it's a lot simpler. I just kind of go up there and throw two pitches really hard. I'm like, yeah, that's what mm. that's what happens when you move very normal uh, starters into the bullpen. And then I just started thinking like, wow, what if John Gray had just become one of the best relievers in baseball like four years ago? And like he was just this like, you know. 98 and a, and a gnarly slider and we just thought of john gray as this like relief face and then now here he sort of is that in the world series which brings me to really spinning it forward which is the bigger question about john gray now is this dude starting game seven okay mm. because mm. that's the real thing that i'm thinking about now is you know the rangers are going to go through a bullpen game tomorrow we're going to presume we're going to go back to Evaldi, although montgomery was certainly shaky but i would assume we see him again but at this point i don't know if Scherzer's going to get taken off the roster, I don't know what the deal is, but like he kind of seems like the answer to start game seven. Yeah. 
but he's apparently so good in relief. I, I would just have an opener. I know. So anyway, those are my John Gray thoughts. I was very happy to see it. He's uh, he's only 31 years old. Like he's turning 32 in a couple weeks uh, or next yeah. week. And yeah, just a hell of a performance, man. He he looks great. Good for him. So let, let's fast forward, I guess, what, to the top of the eighth? Um. Well, we can at least, well, when does the Garcia injury happen? Top of the eighth. Top End of the, of the top okay. of the eighth. So yeah, I mean, they're really, I don't think there's a ton else we get another fam hit we get yeah there's really not not a whole lot else Ketel Marte gets another hit so his hit streak continues he's amazing but uh, other than that yeah not not a whole lot else to get to so we'll go to the eighth Garcia swings really hard as he does and (laughs) grabs his back like right away and that that's it yeah yeah I mean we've seen this injury for many hitters before Especially ones that swing really hard and have a lot of torque and whatever, um, and yeah, it flies out and he's just like, "Yep, nope, that's that's what that looks like—a bad oblique injury." We don't know for sure how serious this is. I suppose there's a chance he's fine and he tweaked something and he's in the lineup tomorrow. Seems unlikely, but maybe we know that by the time you're listening mm-hmm. to this uh, on Tuesday. But yeah, I mean, it's a huge deal. Like, it's not not that complicated. Like, if he's out of, the, if they have to play Travis Shankowski, that they're a worse baseball team. Whoa. <laughs> so, what? So there's there's the take. There's the take there. Um, I mean, I guess they would start Grossman if it's – I would assume it would be Grossman, uh, but maybe not. I don't know. Uh, I, I would assume Grossman would be the guy to fill in. But either way, that is obviously a huge deal if he actually strained his oblique. But who knows what yeah. that looks like, but that is obviously a huge deal. Uh, so he's out of the game. And then we go to the bottom of the eighth where we do have some actual drama. Ooh, baby. Ooh, freaking baby in comes a role this Chapman yeah and that's when you know <laughs> it's so funny because um uh, I know he doesn't end up coming in this game again Leclerc's warming up like four I know pitches into the end I mean it's like, <laughs> he is not I think he had a one two three outing in Tampa in the very beginning of the postseason and since then has not happened he uh, can't keep yeah. Getting away with this. <laughs> yeah. Emmanuel Rivera doubles to lead off the inning down the right field line. Geraldo Perdomo singles on a broken bat lofter over the third baseman's head. Rivera scores. And at this point, you know, the the chase, I guess, is bopping. You okay. know, the snakes are alive. Corbin Carroll's coming Finally, up. Finally, Corbin Carroll's coming up. Finally, the team has something to cheer for. Corbin Carroll strikes out on a, what was it, like a six-pitch at bat? It was a six-pitch at bat. It's fastball, 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 away, away, away. It's fouling him off. And then, again, Chapman, his fastball never has any idea where it's going. But when he wants to land that slider, he can just do that. I mean, he threw it. You could not throw it more down the middle. You know, he threw five straight fastballs, and that's what Carroll's gearing up for. And Carroll's amazing. But ultimately, if you're a left-handed hitter and you're in that spot and you – probably haven't faced Chapman maybe ever. I, maybe he saw, I know they played it in the regular season, but like it's a tough, it's a tough ask. Okay. And he's going to drop the slider yeah. in on you. And yeah, you're, you're going to look at it like, and you're going to look like a fool. Yeah. Not great. Uh, Ketel Marte comes up and I turn to my colleague, Disha Tosara, and I say, home run. This is a home run. I could just envision that image of Chapman in the playoffs, looking despondent and hopeless and aimless, and staring into the distance. And smiling and, for some reason. 
and smiling. And Marte as the righty against the lefty is better from the right side. I was like, this is definitely happening. But no, he gets a decent pitch, a hundred mile an hour sinker in the middle bottom part of the plate. Like yeah. a type of pitch that you can imagine Marte kind of lofting. That is not what happens. He rips a ball into the hole. Corey Seager, extension, flip to second. Marcus Simeon turn, bang, bang, play at first. Marte is out, inning is over, Rangers win. Yeah, I mean, 114 off the bat. Like, he absolutely crushed it. <laughs> Fourth hardest hit ball for a double play of the season. And um, that's unfortunate. He just hit it into the ground, and that's it. And I will say, you know, we've talked about Corey Seager's defense and how it has been impressive but unspectacular. This was a ridiculously impressive play uh, and turn. And it was like, yep, there's, uh, as many Rangers fans were tweeting, there's our $500 million middle infield. It's like, yep, pretty much. <laughs> you get what you paid for. Yeah, that was it. That was it right there. And uh, that's uh, just, you know, as deflating as it gets. Incredible Alec Thomas catch that we'll forget about in the top of the ninth going back against the wall on a Mitch Garver fly. Mm-hmm. Bottom of the ninth, LeClerc comes in. And we have a bad call. Yeah. Well, we have two bad calls that... So philosophically, when you see the total miss on what should have been strike one and then the total miss on what should have been ball four, you say, oh, well, what's the difference? It all evens out. And like technically that's true, but that that doesn't make the first one or the second one like and then you and then people are tweeting just the fuck up and it's like, well, no, like there was another fuck up. It was clearly a makeup call and all these things are true. I don't know, like, you know, I don't like complaining about umpiring. This was a tough night behind the dish for Alfonso Marquez. And here's where where I'm struggling with it. You know, I track this stuff as closely as anybody. And Quinn Walcott was behind the plate for game two. And Quinn Walcott was the second best umpire in baseball this year by um, scorecards behind only Pat Hobart, right? And Quinn Walcott also called kind of a crap game. So you don't fucking know. Like Marquez, did he rank 77th out of 88? Yeah, yes, right? Sometimes those guys absolutely nail it and sometimes they suck. Do I want robot arms? No. Do I want the challenge system? Yeah, I do. Because it's fucking sweet. And I think we will have that. And I think that's what we're heading towards. Is it going to happen next year? I don't know. Challenge system is the truth. That is the future. That's what we want. Full robot umps. No thanks. Never want to see that. But yeah, I mean, this sucked. Like ultimately, it did it cancel out? Yes. Does it really excuse the first call? Because it still impacts the rest of the at-bat. All those things are true. It was unfortunate. Whatever, Leclerc, you know, guy, I hate it. I mean, I love Gabby Moreno. It was unfortunate, but, you know, I, I don't I don't really have much to add to this. And then Leclerc just ends the yeah, game. Yeah, I mean, he then is, he's turned it on. Yeah. Automatic, strikes out Walker, strikes out Fam swimming, sw- swimming, swinging to end it. And the Rangers take game three in the desert, three to one. The series is now two to one. And let us briefly preview game four before I go get some dinner. Yes. At 1 a.m. Eastern. <laughs> um, <10 laughs> That's fine. I had dinner a while ago. You're, you're good. Very true. Very true. Uh, we have Joe Mantiply against Andrew Heaney. Oh, just as, as, as the Lord intended. So let's just remind everybody, this, is, this will be Joe Mantiply's second start uh, of the postseason. He opened an NLCS game four, a game that the D-Max won 6-5 to five in dramatic fashion. And to remind everybody how that game went, not every single thing that happened, but the Diamondbacks used eight pitchers in that game. It went. This is Manta, the, just quickly, yes. this, quickly, this is the Kimbrel fuck up game. Correct. Correct. This is the, this is the Alec game. Thomas bomb. This is, yeah. Yes. Yes. But for the purposes of like, what kind of roadmap are we expecting to get all these outs? Last time we saw 
Mantiply, Frias, Nelson, Castro, Saul Frank, Thompson, Ginkle, Seawalt. Now tonight in game three, we saw Nelson, Frias, Castro, Saul Frank already. You saw them already. I was stunned to see Luis Frias Frias late in the game there. It ended up working out okay. Um, As much as I love the guy, I thought they'd bring in someone to keep it a little bit closer. And he he generally did, which was fine. They stayed away from Thompson, Ginkle, and Seawald. So that much we know. But how they get through those other innings, I would expect we see some of those guys again on back-to-back nights. But I am curious, if we're just getting one out of Mantiply, how are we kind of getting through uh, the rest of that? They have one fewer pitcher on the on the roster now. That too, because right. they put no, Jace no, Peterson no, yeah, on. So unless unless Jace Peterson, we have seen Jace Peterson pitch this year, but I assume mm. he is not in the mix uh, for the for the bullpen game. So how they get through the rest of that is uh, is going to be very interesting. I'm trying to think of. Or am I forgetting about any other pitchers besides Shikoni? Besides those other ones, the other um, Nelson. Did you I'm say both sh- Nelsons? Oh, the other Nelson, Ryan Nelson. Is he on the roster? Ryan Nelson is on the roster. Okay, so Ryan Nelson would seem like one that we would probably see at some point. Yeah, that's one that would, well, but I don't know. He's the one that's been the worst. So, Can I say something? Yeah. I hate this. I, I know hate you this. do. We, we, we had this I hate it so much. Time. We I, talked I, about yeah. it. It's, it, it again, like I don't fault the Diamondbacks for doing it it makes yeah. sense based upon their roster construction yeah but we have to find a way to disincentivize this because it just creates such a boring product and for all of you people listening like i know jordan you're a nerd and yeah. a lot of the people listening are, are nerds and they do kind of maybe some of them like the idea of piecing the puzzle together of how are the diamondbacks going to get through this game I don't want to talk about, are they going to go Ryan Nelson to Kyle Nelson <laughs> no, to Andrew Solfrank? You're totally I right. Wanna, this is just what we're stuck with. You're totally right. I do not yeah. disagree at all. Of course, I can geek out over this all day. You're totally correct. No, we are gonna, no refuting. And this is kind of, I guess, where we're at in our lives. We will make the best of the situation we are given and convey why it is interesting and compelling and notable and fun and whatever. But I think we do need to push for a better world. I agree. I, I'm totally with you on that. Here's and and here's the again just when we spin it to how what this feels for Arizona is they just lost game three. Now remember they mm. they won game three against Philly and so the confidence going into the bullpen game was higher, feeling good. Oh, we lose, it's tied. All you know, all these different things, right? But instead, now it's like holy shit! Like the season is on the Joe Man to play a bullpen game in a lot of senses. Yeah, and that is. That's where the stakes start to feel very significant. At the same time, Sandra Heaney. You know, Sandra Heaney, Stane Dunning. Hopefully you can score some more runs against those guys. That would be my my point to the snakes in this case. Heen dog bump day. Heen dog bump day is is here. So uh, I think that's it. I think we can cut it off here. You can go get dinner. Uh, thank you all for listening to this Game 3 Recap Baseball Barbacast. Um, anything else we want to talk about? Uh, no, not for now. We'll save any other topics for another for another day. Yeah. Congratulations to the Diamondbacks for having real people throw out the first pitch. That's probably not fair. Not real people. <laughs> there were Olympians and Larry Fitzgerald throwing out the first pitch last round. That's pretty <laughs> real cool. Real baseball people. Real baseball people. Like, if you're a, a franchise that's won a World Series, I'm glad they were able to get Randy Johnson and Luis Gonzalez out here. Very interested in who's going to be here the next two nights. I hope they get Goldschmidt. That'd be hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure he's chilling. I'm sure he would be willing to come hang out. Uh, No doubt about that whatsoever. 
Uh, all right. Thank you all for listening. Thank you to Chris Tyler for producing. You can email us at baseballbarbercast at gmail.com. And we'll be back after game four when Joe Mantiply throws a complete game. Question mark, question mark, question mark. Okay, bye. Serious XM Podcasts.